0: Everyone talks about what it's like to feel at your best, whatever that is in life, whether it's as an athlete in training or other variables that are going on in your personal life that aren't related to being active or running and being human. And that when we're starting where we are, sometimes it is not where we want to be. And all you can do is be patient and take it a day at a time and be consistent and not give up on yourself.
1: That was Elizabeth Corkum, aka Coach Corky. This is Marnie Salop. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Hope you had a wonderful holiday weekend. Mine was full of cycling, running, and swimming, and lots of training inspo from my awesome guest this week, Elizabeth Corkum, AKA Coach Corky. When musical theater major turned to running as a way to stay in shape in the competitive world of performing, she had no idea it would power her through a quarter life crisis, fuel her for career success in an entirely new industry, and transform her life forever. Now, 21 marathons and 20 half marathons later, She has a 3.0321 marathon PR and a 1.2007 half marathon PR and has coached thousands of athletes, helping them achieve PRs or simply run for fun. Elizabeth Corkum, known as Coach Corky to many, many New Yorkers, is one of New York City's top running coaches, an entrepreneur with a private coaching business Coach Corky runs, and a proven track record of success, a competitive athlete and an exciting new coaching position at Precision Run, the performance-based indoor running program and treadmill studio co-founded and created by David Zeke and Equinox. Bit by the running bug in 2010, Corky has run every distance from 5Ks to ultramarathons. She's coached thousands of athletes over the years through her coaching business as well as top coaching jobs at Mile High Run Club, Nike, Jackrabbit Sports, Run Smart with Jack Daniels, City Coach Multisport, and the City Harvest New York City Marathon Charity Team. She has also taught running seminars internationally and has been a contributor to Runners World Magazine and Women's Health. Beyond her impressive PRs and coaching, Corky has amassed some serious credentials and certifications. She is an RRCA Certified Running Coach, USATF Level 1 Certified Coach, ISSA Certified Personal Trainer and Specialist in Sports Nutrition, and... Red Cross CPR, AED, Adult, and Pediatric Certified. On this episode, Corky and I sync up about where her journey with running began, her career and entrepreneurship, PRing, race recon and strategy, marathoning and picking your distance, and preparing mentally and physically for races, as well as wrapping your mind around the comeback process. As always, thanks for tuning in and all your great feedback on the podcast. I appreciate your DMs and questions on social and keep those emails coming. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy. Scroll through the list of Marnie on the Move podcasts on your app, click on Write a Review, share what you like about the podcast, your favorite episodes, what inspires you, tell your friends to listen, email them a link, post it on your social platforms, and tag Marnie on the Move. Spread the love. Also, sign up for our newsletter, the download, to find out about upcoming events and summits, great deals, offers, and giveaways. Connect with Corky on social at Coach Corky Runs on Instagram and Facebook, and Precision Run on Instagram and Facebook, and of course, Marnie on the Move. I hope you enjoy today's episode. But before we get started, today's episode is fueled by Sun Potion. I am such a huge fan of their super high quality, organic, tonic herbs, mushrooms, and superfoods. I have been using a variety of their transformational foods and supplements for the past three years. They have been major game changers for my overall health and wellness. Lately, I have been using the pine pollen and ashwagandha for hormones and balance, chaga for my immune system, and my favorite, cordyceps, for extra energy pre-workout. I simply add them to my coffee or my smoothie every day, and I'm on the move. Head over to their website, sumpotion.com, and use the code Marnie on the move for 10% off. Now, on to the episode. Thank you so much for coming all the way down to FiDi. I know you're super busy at your new job. It's not that big of a deal as long as the MTA cooperates, and I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. Thank you. You know, we met four years ago at a running studio. You have run over 20 marathons. You have run over 20 half marathons. You are a seasoned runner, a coach, a running group fitness instructor now at Precision Run. And before you started your running career, you were working as an actor in theater? Yep, mostly in theater. Where did running begin for you? I began running the way most people do,
0: out of fear of gaining weight. I was in college. It was not a healthy relationship with my body. I was worried as an actor about being cast based on size or not being cast because of size, and I had witnessed a couple of classmates and people I'd known who were actors in theater, in opera, and on TV and film be neglected or considered uncastable because of their image, and so at 20 years old, you internalize that, and so I began running essentially just to kind of prevent myself from gaining weight in college. And it was not a healthy relationship with it. I didn't really love it. I didn't really like it. I felt good after, I suppose, because I think when you're doing anything physical, there is always kind of a really good feeling after. I was a dancer for a long time with that musical theater focus. So it wasn't that I didn't know what hard work or physical activity felt like, just running was really new to me. From there, I had theater contracts around the country for a couple of years. And I would use running, honestly, as a distressor. Often I was in long rehearsals and in a new place and away from my family. And again, I was terrified of gaining weight and not being cast or having a costume presented and having them have to take it out or something of that nature. Luckily, running became a bit more healthy in that I started really enjoying the ability to see a new town or city on my feet. I started started to be able to experience new cultures in different parts of the U.S. in a way I couldn't have if I wasn't running. And so while a lot of my castmates at the time were out late partying or doing other things with whatever free time they had, it's not that I was antisocial and didn't party with them sometimes, but I started prioritizing even a 30-minute run first thing in the morning or something during my lunch break. And I found it gave
1: me a sense of balance and it kind of grew from there. So did you start out? running like one or two miles and then
0: probably yeah. I honestly don't even
1: know now you're doing marathons yeah, yeah I mean this was back in the day first off I'm dating myself now
0: you'd be running with a disc man
1: uh-huh oh the anti-skip
0: disc men you know <laughs> and um so you have like that big thing in your hand you know when I'd see a hill I would stop running and walk up that hill because right. there's no way I'm running up a hill that's hard <laughs> and I didn't know about my pace I didn't know I didn't know anything about running other than I felt good when I did it, and I kind of just—it was very organic to me. It was very free, and I had no idea if I was good, bad. I didn't really care or no. I just found that it was a positive addition to my life. And then when I moved to New York, I kind of went through a quarter-life crisis. I got married and divorced very young, and was trying to commute to New York from Philadelphia to audition for a while, and it was kind of like. There were a lot of things. I went through a lot of changes around 25. When I moved to New York, I was on my own. I was going through a divorce. I was throwing myself into acting full time in New York. I didn't have so hard. Yeah. I didn't have a survival job. I was lucky in that I'd already built some relationships. And so I was on film sets and TV sets a lot, even just doing stand in and photo double work, which is not glamorous at all. But hey, it goes towards your health yeah and it goes towards your health insurance through the union and your pension and those things. Then I started running in Central Park with some friends and From there, it really took off. And I think the core life crisis just made me realize that I'm strong. I'm resilient. Life does not go as planned. And, you know, I was no longer the suburban housewife. And let's do something scary. Let's run. Let's run. Let's race. And so I signed up for the Broad Street Run, which is a 10-mile race, as my very first race experience. And from there, um, I think before I even had run that race, I decided I was going to run Philly Marathon that November. And not only was I going to run it, I was going to qualify for Boston. But again, I didn't know that people don't qualify for Boston. I didn't know that it was going to be hard. I didn't know. I was so green and ignorance is kind of bliss. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's kind of like going into your first tattoo, right? Like you think it's going to hurt, but you have no idea how much and so in your mind it's bigger and harder and worse than you think. Right. And you're like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. That's kind of my experience with my first marathon. It was great.
1: <laughs> I feel like I have that experience every time I do a race, like after the, like in terms of like, you know, setting big goals, achieving them and realizing like while you're doing the race or you know, whatever it is that I, if it's a triathlon or a half marathon, and then all of a sudden I'm like, wow, this is really hard. And then you do it and you're like, wow, I should I wanna like, I'm not gonna do that again. And <laughs> then you just sign up the next day. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's 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 so true. And so my first marathon, my first race and my first marathon were when I was twenty-six. And so in the last nine years, my life has changed in a big way, all due to running. Something that was totally new to me and I had no idea what I was doing, and i Got lucky and then I trained very structure free, but I felt healthy and got my BQ and felt amazing out there the whole way. It was dumb luck, I think, partly. And I'm glad I had a fantastic first race because I may not have ever gone so you back. You got your
1: BQ the first race. Yeah. You did. Wow. That's amazing. Did you have a similar experience in acting and theater when you started out? Like, did you just, like, one day as a kid wake up and say, I want to be an actor or a dancer? And then your career just went to that place? I don't know, actually. I am. Um, like, is that sort of like your personality? It's like you just set a goal and then you do it. I
0: don't think I knew I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. I think I always, though, was imaginative and playing characters and writing scripts with my brother. And then we'd force my parents to sit down in the living room and we'd put on a play. And there was something just very freeing and natural and creative about that. I didn't know about child actors. I didn't watch a ton of TV. I didn't um, ever think about doing anything other than school and being a normal kid. I watched a lot of musicals and I performed on stage as much as I could and started getting into community theater and other things and dance recitals, but... I don't know when the switch flipped if it ever even did that that's what I wanted to do with my life or it just seemed like the natural progression. There was I don't think an ever big like aha moment per se. Like you've had in running. Yeah I feel like I really had that switch flip with running and with the arts I feel like it was just very natural. I felt most comfortable singing with a choir or playing an instrument and not that it came super natural to me. It wasn't a protege, but I mean (laughs) it's still you know, I'm still just a human. But I felt like it was in my niche. It felt it felt natural. And with running, for a while it didn't feel natural. I felt like I was never somebody who was gonna do races. I was never gonna be good enough for I had a very different when you're not in it from the outside, and especially before the running boom, my perception was that everyone who did races was four percent body fat and very fast. And that if I'd ever attempted a race they'd be cleaning up the cones before I would come through. And I was
1: like, I'm never going to
0: do that. That sounds awful and humiliating. Running, I think, for a
1: lot of people who aren't runners, feels intimidating. But it's like, I think it's one of the most amazing things you can do. I mean, but I'm a runner. I, th- I could see that, though. It's like that mental barrier to entry that if you want to run, but it just seems so scary. I mean, it's so easy to start. It is. And I think now too,
0: thanks to the running boom and awareness and social media and like all these GPS devices or people can share their data, it's become much more of a mainstream experience, I would say, in the last five years in a big way. And I think what is so great about that is the stigma of runners being a certain way or shape or age or gender or whatever. Everyone's a runner. Anyone can do it. That fear, that perception, I feel like is less and less and changes over time. And I think that's one of the beautiful things and the positive things about social media is running is for everybody.
1: Yeah. I mean, and you don't even need to belong to a gym or spend money on a class. Like you can just walk outside and run. And that's one of the most amazing things about it is that there's no real like barrier to entry. I mean, obviously if you have an injury, that's a barrier to entry, but. No, do not run with an injury. Do not run with an injury. Running is something that everybody can do. You have been an avid runner. And, and at this point, you had moved to New York. You had done the Broad Street Run. You you'd got a BQ in the Philly Marathon. And so then you did the Boston Marathon. And what was next for you after that? Well, Boston was the
0: ultimate goal. And that was kind of my... It's, it's the unicorn um, <laughs> in more ways than one. After that, I wanted to get faster I didn't know what potential I had. I think when I did my first marathon, the paces I was hitting just to qualify, I think was about eight minute miles. The year before that, I would not have ever expected that of myself. And so I think my perception of myself and what my potential could be was kind of the unknown. And I was excited to kind of see what that would be. So I started seeing what I could do to bring my pace down for the marathon So the following year. I dropped it by 17 minutes. Oh my God.
1: How did you do that?
0: Training more, training harder, starting to learn to train with some actual structure and purpose, starting to learn about the body and the mind and adaption. And it was around that time where I started thinking about certifications and just I had a a curiosity for myself and I had friends starting to ask me for running advice. Mm -hmm. And I realized I didn't know anything other than what I'd read in, say, runner's world at the time and what I was kind of regurgitating to them that I had processed from an mm-hmm. article right. or my own experience. And I was like, this seems like I'm kind of just giving, you know, it's it's advice, but is it actually good advice? I don't know. So I think it was probably around 2012, 2013 and 14, I started assistant coaching for a couple of different programs and places. And I just wanted to start to absorb knowledge and experience. And I was fully aware of the fact that I didn't know that much about what I was doing yet. And the only way to get better is to stay open-minded and listen and see how runners around you are adapting to training and to start to become friends with other runners too. I was somebody who knew a couple of runners in New York, but not a ton. I did not know running culture.
1: The running community in New York is like, it's it's so incredible. I mean, if you're a runner and you see another runner, it's like you're in the running club and have this unspoken language when you pass each other out on the street.
0: Yeah. So I spent a couple of years just trying to learn. And at that time I was still acting and I started looking forward to assistant coaching more than I was making it through that door for an audition, which I thought was a really interesting thing. And honestly, part of it was that I was just kind of burning out from the audition process. I'm very type A and I am an incredibly hard worker to the point where it's probably questionably sane. And what I don't love about acting or modeling is that you can walk through that door, the most prepared person, the person who is most right for it in your mind, Or, but if you don't have that connection or you don't know somebody or you remind that casting director of an ex-girlfriend or whatever the case may be, the answer is no. And on the flip side, sometimes it's dumb luck and the answer is yes. But as somebody who wants to get out what I put in, it became very frustrating. And also too, as a female who is in her 20s, I'm a pretty generic type. I'm fully aware that there are a lot of actors out there like me in singing, same vocal range, on film, very much like white girl next door. And when you're one of so, so many, you know the odds are against you. And I think the people who are really successful in those industries can find a way to push that knowledge out and just almost blind optimism again, just go in. And for whatever reason, at that point in my career, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't lie to myself or I couldn't ignore the statistics and I'd walk through the door. And so I started really looking forward to coaching more. And I wanted to challenge myself and see what would happen if I started focusing on coaching full-time and then acting part-time. I was fully aware I could not just go cold turkey and be a successful coach overnight. It takes right. time. I mean, it
1: takes time yeah. yeah,
0: It takes time to build a business first off, filing an LLC. It takes time to build a website. It takes time to think about your niche and how do you fit into a city like New York and offer something that is needed and wanted And at the end of the day, it comes down to, right, booking clients. So how do you kind of figure out where you fit? And, you know, that, again, it takes time. And I knew I had to kind of subsidize my lifestyle still then with acting gigs to get Coach Corky Run's LLC afloat. And I hustled really hard. That first year, I was burning the candle at both ends as a coach. But it was also a labor of love and I just was really happy being out there with runners. And at that time, too, I was dabbling in ultra marathons, which is a totally different world than it's a half different marathons. Sport. Absolutely. But it was the perfect marriage. It was pretty awesome in that I was looking to crank out 100 mile weeks myself. And so I could afford to run multiple 20 milers with private clients within a week. And if I hadn't been ultra training, that would have been absolutely insane. Like, who without breaking their body, who can possibly run multiple 20-milers in a week, especially if they're training for like a fast 5K. Like that would be… Insane. Well, and like training specificity. It just would yeah. not be productive. So it was kind of perfect in that I had my eye on some ultras and dabbling in that while building my brand. It meant that I could be really giving with my body and not worrying about my paces as much as just getting in the miles.
1: So, Because with an ultra, it's really just about getting in the miles.
0: It really is. So… I developed Coach Quirky Runs and then I started saying yes and yes to clients and no thank you and no thank you to auditions because I didn't want to cancel my running clients. I was starting to build up my reputation and I wanted to be reliable. I wanted to be consistent. And from there, I just kind of did less filming, more coaching. And when 2015 rolled around, I had really kind of been afloat on my own and I had kind of really found my niche in the New York running community, and I was working with just some really spectacular athletes. And, you know, I coach average people for the most part. They're not they're not Olympic hopefuls. They might be trying to qualify for Boston. Some of them are very first-time runners. Some of them are first-time half-marathoners. Some are first-time marathoners or people looking to improve on a previous time, people coming back from injury or from pregnancy or hiatus. They're your normal people and it's just so wonderful to work with normal people and to know and contribute to their running and like how it affects their lives in a positive way and so in 2015 that was when essentially i joined mile high run club
1: that's when we met at mile high run club how did you connect with deborah warner and mile high run club power social media man. So it was
0: November 2014 when they first opened their doors and there was a New York Times article that showcased the studio and interviewed Deb and I remember on Facebook a bunch of runners I'd known from assistant coaching were sharing it and they were sharing it in a not so positive way. It was kind of like why would I run inside? Why would I pay to run? This is BS. This is never gonna last. And I understand their skepticism as somebody who'd been purely an outdoor runner.
1: Right. And this was like a totally new concept for people.
0: Yeah, so, it was. Yeah. And so I read the article, and instead of going into the spiral that everybody else had, I thought, huh, this might be an opportunity. This sounds like this could be something. And so after I read the article, I stalked her on Facebook. You stalked Deborah? I sent her who we both love. <laughs> I sent her a direct message. She responded right away. My direct message was essentially, hey, congrats on Mile Heron Club. I see it's opening. I'm a running coach here in New York City. I don't know if you need any more coaches for your roster, but if so, figured I'd reach out. And within, I think, a couple hours, we were having a phone conversation. And then later that week, I was in the studio. I think it was pretty much the week of their launch, sampling a couple of classes. She wanted to know if, as an outdoor coach, first off, if I would like the Woodway's and if I would like the programming, and if the whole concept was something that I could really jive with. And my answer was yes. And I am a hard sell. I am not a group fitness person. I have never done a Barry's class. I have never done a soul cycle class. I am purely like the good old fashioned, run outside in all the weather, or go to the gym and lift to my own sort of person. So the fact that I was sold on it, I think spoke highly of what she'd created. And so that was... November 2014, I was then in training and on the roster first week in January 2015, and was there for four years and four months. And, you know, for me, the learning curve was coaching on a headset. I think with my acting background, I'm very comfortable
1: with my voice. I'm very comfortable speaking in front of a crowd. I was going to say, because, you know, I've taken a lot of classes having launched a lot of studios and boutique fitness and i'm the same like i personally if left to my own devices would just be running outside or going out on my bike or swimming but i get i have a very positive outlook on the value of group fitness and you know every now and then you really do need that group to be motivated so when i first came and took your class i was like wow this is so much fun i think that that's a tremendous advantage for you to be both a runner and to have that musical theater background because you really do need to have that strong presence to be able to like get people excited about the class, about the workout, to like really keep their head in the game while also making them work really hard. And it's always like one thing I remember about your class, which also, when I took your class the other night, same thing, was that no matter how, much, how hard the workout is, you're smiling and there's great music and you're like, wait, but I am working so hard and and yet this is so much fun. So, I mean, I think that's like a true talent.
0: Yeah. I mean, I never would have thought that a degree in performance in music would have me behind a headset coaching runners. It's insane to me still that that's where I am. But I do think It's to my advantage that I can coach 20 classes a week and not burn out vocally. You know, I know how to project. I know how to save my voice and still give energy simultaneously. And that is not something, apparently, as I've learned with knowing other coaches, that comes naturally to a lot of people. But I always want to make sure that it's not a performance per se, that it it goes back
1: to running. Well, I was going to say, like, there's a lot of instructors out there that come from acting or theater that have no performance background, And I think that's what really makes the difference with your classes and with you as a coach is that you have a lot of experience running and you're a coach as well. So bringing that extra theater experience into the mix is really like a tremendous advantage.
0: Yeah. And it's,
1: been really wonderful to be able to kind of coach thousands of runners. I was going to say, do you have? S- I wrote down <laughs> that you've probably coached over a hundred thousand runners. Like, did you ever think about that? I yeah, I don't twenty classes a week, thirty eight people in a class.
0: Yeah, I don't know the, the, years. <laughs> I don't know the exact number because you know I've got so many repeats and things like that. But it's definitely given me an outlet to to connect with and coach so many more runners than I possibly could on my own private roster. I just don't have the bandwidth to to give and coach and be present with my personal clients when it's that many. You know, I focus on quality over quantity with my private clients now. So it's been great to be in a studio environment where I can just connect with that many more people and impact their running in a meaningful way.
1: I mean, and you really do. Like people come up to you after class. They ask you questions. You're always available. Tell me about Precision Run and your exciting new job. Precision Run's been around, I believe, since 2014 or so.
0: It has been taking place in the Equinox gyms on the treadmills. So up until recently, you'd have a coach who would teach a class in the middle of a gym and which as you can imagine is not the group fitness experience most boutique goers are used to. But the creator of the program, David Seek, is a scientist first and foremost and also just a, a very talented athlete himself. And he wanted to focus on really doing a lot of research and creating a program that is scientifically soundproof, that is safe, first off, for runners, but also gives them a really strong workout and to also make it fun, to make it accessible to everybody. And so the classes have been really successful at Equinox and often will sell out. And so it's been thriving there. And then Equinox had opened in Santa Monica and in Boston and London. They have what they called the lab. And those were studio spaces pretty much adjacent to an equinox that all of a sudden would then house the woodways and the program. So it was kind of the stepping stone to what we now have in New York City in Flatiron on West 21st Street, which is the first fully standalone precision-run studio. And I knew back in October that something big was coming, and I... um. I was thinking about a change. You know, I really loved my runners at Mile High so much. But I felt like I needed something new. I felt like I needed to be at a place where I had more opportunities to grow. And I didn't feel like the current situation was going to foster that. And so when this kind of fell in my lap, I was like, hells, yeah, let me be part of it. And the studio is just really special. It's the first studio I think ever ever to think about not just the temperature of the studio, but the quality of the oxygen. So we have a filtration system that makes sure that it pulls out the gases that are omitted from runners that are sweating and breathing to keep just the oxygen quality consistent and clean. These are things runners may not even notice. I didn't even notice. No, but that's so cool. Right. But you would notice bad air quality when you're the third class of a morning and there have been 34 athletes in there for a couple of hours. Yes. And the
1: treadmills, David partnered with Woodway. So Woodway treadmills are the best treadmills on the planet. And I honestly can never run on another treadmill no same totally it's like (laughs) they are like we have to talk about treadmill running after this but like i can never i cannot run on any other treadmill and the treadmills at precision running are amazing
0: yeah so like the programming and everything else david was very patient and wanted to make sure he did this the right way so it's been years of him working with woodway flying back and forth to wisconsin to design a treadmill and like he says and i think he says it the best he wanted to design a treadmill that took out all the things that runners hate about treadmill running. <laughs> all of the things, especially for an interval program, that runners find frustrating and not comfortable and confusing. And to create a machine that really is a training partner. And that's what he's created. And it's beautiful. And it's efficient. And it's ours. Nobody else is going to have it. And it just, the response, and granted, we've only been open a week so far, the response has just been overwhelmingly positive. And this treadmill will also be compatible with the app. So all of your data from the treadmill you'll have on your phone when you walk out the door and vice versa. You'll have all of your mileage in your lifetime at Precision Run. We're going to do things to celebrate certain milestones and mileage for our runners. And it's just a really exciting place to be. I mean, Equinox has a reputation for excellence. Yes. And I've kind of been watching it from the outside. Now being part of it, I'm just blown away by the quality of everything, honestly, start to finish. And just what happens in that studio is so beautiful and so special. And the lights and the music all are cued to the second, to each interval, so that everything feels organic and seamless. So the runner can really focus on what they're doing and being present in their
1: bodies. Yeah. I had a great experience in your class. Good. A few weeks ago. I haven't stopped talking about it. Like I really, really loved it. Like I loved, at first I loved doing intervals because I feel like I I have gone to the track and I I love the track as well. So I love all kinds of running from endurance to intervals to track work, all of that. But I feel like doing intervals on a treadmill is the best way to do intervals for so many reasons, which your expertise can talk, you can talk about. (laughs) But for me, I just find that it was nice the way that you have the intervals broken out And then I loved, so that was my favorite. And then I loved having a PR for the class, like set and a goal that I had to like reach for from the beginning. So maybe talk to me a little bit about that philosophy or concept behind the classes.
0: Yeah. So I think what you just said is great in that the treadmill is, it's one of the most honest pieces of equipment, right? You punch in a speed and either you maintain that speed or you don't, you fall off the back of it, right? right. Like <laughs> That's like how it, I'm going to die, by the way. That's, no, but right. you can't cheat your way through your workouts on a treadmill, right? If your coach says, I need you to run these paces for these intervals, if you punch that number in, like either it happens or it doesn't, right? Like it, it keeps you so honest, which is I think why – runners are starting to realize that it's a really great training tool for accountability and starting to learn what certain paces feel like in your body yeah
1: I was gonna say it also helps you learn you know what it feels like to run an eight minute mile or Absolutely. seven minute mile
0: yeah yeah so at precision run everything that you do is based around your own pr or your own personal record so everybody who walks that door has a different number we celebrate it it's never compared to anybody else it's yours and what it essentially is is your one minute max speed that you could hold with solid form.
1: On the treadmill in that class.
0: Yeah. Now, it's sometimes hard to gauge what that is. And we always say that after the first class or two, you have a really good idea of what it is. But to use the first class or two to kind of just set the target, don't be afraid of changing that target slightly and see what feels right. Which is why we want everyone to be so focused and self-aware. We're not trying to distract runners with music or lights. Everything instead is designed to really make you focus in on what you're doing and feeling. And so I've been telling first-timers if they run races, maybe think about mile to 5k race pace, because often we'll hit the PR later in the program. It's not going to be something you do right out of way because right. that would be dangerous. So, you know, you're going into that PR also no longer fresh, but everything you do is mathematically based around that PR. So if my PR is say an 8.0, depending on that program, it's also metric. It might be okay. Start at your PR minus two. So, okay. I know I'm starting at six miles an hour for the first interval and then it's going to progressively change and everything again is just so mathematical and metric and so everybody in that studio if they've set their honest PR they're all feeling the same sort of thing because they're all reaching closer and closer towards their personal record and again and you, you test it out it. though
1: When you get to when like at the beginning yeah. of class but yeah. I felt like when I when I did it like it said nine right so it yeah. was like nine not a nine minute mile like nine on the treadmill right yeah but actually, I couldn't I couldn't do that. So maybe in the beginning, I could do that. But as the class went on, yeah, I had to lower it to eight. Just because, you know, for me, also, it was like, I was a little nervous to go that fast on the treadmill. I mean, I also probably couldn't sustain it beyond, yeah. I felt like my heart was going to come out of my body, which I like to feel. <laughs> so just for the record, like, that's a good feeling for me when I yeah. feel like I'm really working and like I'm pushing myself. But yeah, so I just, I thought that was good. Even if it's not like your PR out on the course. I mean, running on the street is very different than obviously running on a treadmill. And you want to try to get them to be the same at some point of your running life. But yeah, I mean, I thought that was so cool. How many different types of classes are there at Precision Run?
0: Over the years, David has over 100 programs that are created. Right now, it's an issue of aligning and working on to make sure the music and the lights but right, at the, the tech part yeah. right, is created and up to par for each program before we roll it out. So I think right now we probably have 20 different programs, three different programs that are free to take and use. And so you don't know when you sign up what class you're having. Okay. And this is also true in the gym. It was what they started there and we're keeping it true to what Precision was and still is in the gyms because they're still doing the programs in the gym. So you show up and you don't know what your program is going to be till that day, which... I like because I think some of us would only sign up if we knew it was something we've already done or something we feel comfortable with.
1: You know, speaking about running and coaching and all of that. Like if you're if you are a runner, like you're doing certain kinds of runs. Yes. so it's totally different. So you don't know what is it it's say still like endurance be, or it's never going to be
0: endurance. Our max intervals are 2 minutes. It's short and it's quick recoveries. I mean, there are programs that have 1 minute recoveries and 90 second recoveries. There are also some that have 30 second recoveries. So it's rapid fire speed work. For somebody who is trying to figure out how does that fit into a training plan for something, I would say in general, you could compare it to a track workout. Um, You could also, if you're looking to get more mileage, think of it more of a tempo workout. And then I would just recommend a runner kind of pull their PR down a little bit and then make sure that recovery pace is not a walk or a crawl. Right. Right? Like, like yeah. yeah. Which is what I actually did yesterday when, when I took a class. I was like, okay, I, I'm coming back from an off season. I got to get my butt back in shape. How do I want to tackle this today? And it was like, okay, I'm going to recover at seven miles an hour, but I'm going to be lowering my PR and then maxing out at maybe... 10 miles to so bring an hour. the speeds closer together, yeah, to
1: kind of keep it more like seamless or streamlined. Yeah, the
0: spikes were less, um, insane for me as far as pace or exertion
1: goes, but then my recovery was never super generous. Why is it that when you're doing speed work that you go hard and then you're supposed to walk or stop, even like, or is that not true? Is that just like incorrect information?
0: <laughs> I mean. There's so many training philosophies out there. Usually, you want to keep your legs moving after a really hard effort just because you want to flush things out. And depending on how high your heart rate is or if it's really hot, stopping can make someone feel really lightheaded. Mm-hmm. It depends, again, what you're trying to achieve. I think, you know, a hard run and then into a walk, a hard run back into a walk is totally fine. What you're doing at that point is you're, because you're not working for a very long time, you're able to push beyond what you could maybe maintain for say five minutes, you could probably go harder for say two, right? And so you're starting to kind of push your boundaries carefully in a way that's also possible. You can actually start running faster and building your fitness and then taking those recoveries to kind of recover and body to to chill out for a hot second and regroup it for the next one. Yeah,
1: I was just thinking about not necessarily about precision running, but more about like mi- mile repeats on the track. Like, you know, when you're training, you sort of, yeah. you know, and then for one minute you walk because you're supposed to try to go hard, right? So yeah, because it, it may be that, though.
0: and it may be just something where, you know, I could hold a pace for a mile with good form and feel solid, but could I do it for two or three in a row without things being compromised? Or, you know, you you may be able to get in more, Quality speed work Mm -hmm. or better form speed work by adding those little recoveries in there
1: is the idea ultimately to bring those times closer together so that it's it can be yeah it's hard to answer no I mean now I'm like asking you about my own running no it depends (laughs) on the I mean a really
0: topic (laughs) no it really depends on the scenario because yeah it might be that you know for example if you're doing okay I'm gonna do three-minute intervals with two-minute recoveries and I'm going to do five of them today. Then the goal may be in a week or two to do um, four-minute intervals with two-minute recoveries and you're going to do the same amount of them or maybe one less. And then you know, a week later, okay, I'm going to do five-minute intervals and or I'm going to continue with the four-minute intervals, but now I'm going to drop down to a one-minute recovery or just little adjustments to allow the body to adapt to stress but also – in a sequential and smart way, if that makes any sense at all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it does. I mean, I think this is like next level running conversation, but I think that my audience has, my audience is, you know, people that don't run that maybe want to get into running. And I think it's also like superstar triathletes and runners who are listening to our conversation and maybe they, you know, need to learn a little bit more about embracing the treadmill. But I I was, (laughs) I'm asking in terms of like precision running, your longest interval is two minutes, you said, right? So, but like if you're training, Outside of precision running, I mean, I know you have your own coaching business, which you have a curated group of special athletes that you've worked with now for quite a few years, and I'm sure that you're, you know, coaching. Are you you coaching primarily for marathons or different distances? What's your focus?
0: I would say 85% are marathoners. I would say the other 15% are either half marathoners new 10Kers or 5Kers, and then there's probably like 3% that aren't training for any races. They just love to run and they want structure to make sure that they're doing it in a smart way and not running too many days in a row or not falling off the wagon and uh, just to keep consistency in their lives.
1: Is there a different mindset for someone who's a marathoner versus someone who's doing a 5K like in terms of like how they approach running and training for the races?
0: Yes. In that, I mean, what they're physically going to put themselves through are going to be very different things. So I think mentally too, there's just two different mindsets as far as what the ultimate goal is and kind of training specificity at the end of the day is everything. So kind of getting your head around what your goal is and what are the mental challenges of that target. Um, you know, a 5k to me, it's, it's, It's just suffering out of the gate, essentially. It's suffering. Like you have no, there's no warm-up
1: time. There's no, like you just have to go. Yeah. I mean, it's
0: like, it's a hard, it's a hard 3.1 miles. You know, if I feel good, it's like for the first two minutes. And I'm like, oh, nope, there it is. Now we're just going to suffer until this is over. But you're an
1: endurance athlete.
0: Right. No, that's true. But then like in the, say the half marathon or the marathon, There's so much strategy that goes into it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Not that there isn't a strategy for the 5K because there absolutely is. But in the half marathon and the marathon, you should not feel like you're working that hard for the first couple of miles at least. It should feel like you're holding back. And so mentally where you are, knowing that you have to be patient when you don't want to be, but it's it's a just a totally different headspace and they can work together. I think that some 5K runners can become really great half marathoners or vice versa, but just kind of what you have to get your head around and what your body's going to be going through training wise are just going to be very different things.
1: Is this where your marathon coaching stems from? I think so. I think that most
0: people who want a marathon coach want a coach that's done the distance. yeah, um and you know, I think there are some amazing coaches out there that are the best at doing research and reading the science and understanding the physical adaptions and the physical demands of a marathon. But I'd also argue that unless you've been through it numerous times, you don't understand how the body feels when it's breaking down at mile twenty two or just where your head is, or the highs and the lows that go through the journey of a marathoner.
1: Yeah, tell me a little bit about that because you. So, how did you pick marathon as your distance? First of all,
0: <laughs> um, I think it sounded epic at the time, and again, like a quarter life crisis is like, let's do something totally insane right now. How far is a marathon? Great, let's 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 do that. And uh, I don't think I. Well, I think because I was coming from a place where I didn't think of myself as a runner. I didn't think a short distance would be my jam. I assumed that, you know, I'd be much faster naturally if I was going to be a really good 5k runner or 10k runner. And I didn't know my potential, I suppose. But I also didn't assume I was going to be fast. I was like, great, we're just going to go for a long time and see what that's like. And I I have a love-hate relationship with the marathon, which I think most people do, you know? Like it's what I love about it is it teaches you every single time. It is never a slam dunk. Even the best marathon has low moments and has tough moments. And we learn every time. What I don't love about it is that same thing. Like, you know, no matter how prepared you are, um you know you're going to suffer. You know you're in for a couple of hours of of just being in your body and having then to figure out how to steer yourself to the finish line, hopefully make good choices in pacing, good choices in fueling. Hopefully it's your day. Sometimes you just don't feel normal or good that day. Other days you feel spectacular. It sounds a lot like life. Yeah, but <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but no matter again how good of a day it is, like it's still going to it's still gonna be a grind if you're racing, you know. I've done marathons where it's for funsies, and there really aren't the lows in that because you're taking it at a pace where it's 26.2 miles, you're still tired by the end, but it doesn't stress your body or your mind quite the same way. So I think what I appreciate about it is when you race it, just how hard it is. And I think that for then runners who want a coach for the marathon, they want a coach who's kind of been through it all. Yeah, Because they can help kind of prepare them mentally
1: as much as physically for the demand. Is there something like consistent that you'll encounter on every marathon at some point that no, no matter what the course is? You know, they've
0: all been different. I've had some where I have really kind of felt like I've hit the wall and others where I haven't. And somewhere I haven't hit the wall, but I'm just exhausted. There's like, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just tired. They've all been different. They've, they've all given me different challenges at different times. I think what... Is consistent across the board is that with each one I do I
1: respect the next one that much more because I'm, I'm fully aware of what I'm about to do <laughs> I've done a lot of half marathons and I want to do a marathon but I'm not allowing myself to do a marathon <laughs> until I can get my half marathon to at least 145 because yeah. I know when I get to the marathon that's going to add another 20 minutes to my marathon and I want to have my first marathon be under four hours so well, what is your new... Do you have a new PR? I've had the same PR for about
0: two years now, or a year and a half. Um, for the marathon, it's a 303.21. Mm-hmm. And for the half, it's a 120.07. And the half was a little over a year ago, I guess, so February 2018, out towards Las Vegas. And the marathon was the Frankfurt Marathon in 2017. I love both distances. I They're so different. I It's insane. They're both endurance sports, but they're... The fueling, for yeah. one thing... And then just, again, the demand in the body and the mind are just very different. I think for somebody who's looking to transition from the half to the full, think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Training is a lot more time consuming. It's a, lot, it, it's a lot more of a demand on your lifestyle. And I think, though, also people mm-hmm. who assume it's just going to be, oh, it's, it's a half marathon doubled. It's it not. Is, <laughs> it is so much. I mean, distance wise, yeah, but it's, it's so much more. It's, it's such a different beast. But I I would also tell somebody if they've done the half and they love it and they feel comfortable with that distance, but they maybe don't have the same motivation or inspiration to continue upping their goals, whatever they may be for the half, okay, it's time to take on a bigger bigger goal, a bigger target. And there are so many different types of race experiences you can have out there. I mean, there are marathons that you could run on any of the continents, cities, countries, themed runs, fast runs literally you could find anything that you could find anything. And so no matter what your inspiration, your motivation, or what you're looking for for that day, it exists out there. And that's what's so cool about what the running boom has done.
1: Yeah. I was going to say like, you can experience life through running in so many amazing ways. Yeah. And I was asking that question, like obviously any of my listeners who are remotely interested in running can sign up for a marathon and go do a marathon and train for it. And I'm asking from the perspective of taking my running to the next level. Yeah. So it's not that complicated. I just like, am complicating <laughs> it in the no. sense that, cause for me, it's, it's like, you know, I've done a lot of half marathons and for me, the next level is it's either distance or speed. Right. Right. That's yeah, tough to, it's, it's
0: tough to do both simultaneously, it's not impossible, but it's, you know, then you have to kind of have a strategy as to where in the calendar they both fit and how can you make them fit the best way possible.
1: (laughs) Right. Like you have your eight, like in triathlon, we have a, you have a race in any sport, you have a races, B races, C races. And my challenge always has been whether I'm a triathlete or a runner, (laughs) because again, you have to focus on the work and the specificity, if I could say that word, is, you know, it's a hard word to say for that sport. Yeah. So, if you're running, like you had talked about earlier, like the marathon is very different than a half marathon. And even though it's the same activity that you're doing, it's just a very different level of training and also, you know, mindset.
0: Yeah, well, it really is. I should also just say the marathon is not the be all end all for runners like you can be a runner and never do a marathon yeah you can be a runner and never do a race you don't have to fit into a mold or feel pressured because somebody at the water cooler is talking about how they're signing up for something there are also I think the challenge with the running boom is that now there are people signing up for races and doing them in what I would argue is a reckless manner and that they're not actually processing what they're gonna ask of themselves and not giving themselves the time to adapt and train, which will lead to injuries that could have Mm -hmm. been avoided, lead to burnout, lead to that person just hating that experience, never wanting to do it again. And in extreme conditions, you know, you have people who, um, you know, get injured, have to go to a medical tent, have life-threatening scenarios on a race course. And some of the things that happen out there can't be avoided. They're undetected heart issues. But you know you also have people who just honestly probably aren't doing their bodies a service by doing a marathon at that point.
1: I think that's what's great about precision running or running coaches that you can ask someone if they love running and they want to sign up for a race would ask a coach or <laughs> you I know surprised. I know I'm not I know I've had friends who earlier in my when I started doing triathlons and running that I've had friends that were like oh yeah I'm going to do like a half marathon this weekend and I am One of those people that I would never do that. Like I would really, I would always say you really need to train for that because even if you think you can get up and run a half marathon, you're going to kill your body.
0: Yeah, and you may... If you haven't trained. Exactly. And it's like you might be able to pull yourself through it, but at what cost? You know, are you going to be just super sore and exhausted for a week? Are you possibly going to cause a stress fracture? Are you going to, you know, it's kind of just it's one of those things where you still have to, you have to respect what you're about to do.
1: And you've made a lot of smart, you've had, you've been in a lot of situations, speaking of respecting your body and knowing what you have to do, you've made a lot of big decisions about races that you've had, where you had the opportunity, like, I remember you were, you had qualified for Boston again, and you didn't do it because you weren't feeling well. And you, you recently, even on Instagram, I saw I had to make a really tough decision about doing a race or taking, was it, am I... Yeah. I mean, I didn't do Boston this year.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, had my bib. I had registered. I had my bib. Um, and it's tough though. Cause you know, you have to sign up in September and right. it's safe to say that, um, a lot of things have changed in my life since September and as an athlete and as a person. And, you know, you go into it signing up, assuming that it's something you're going to want to and be able to do. And, um, my racing kind of evolved and changed between different experiences and I ended up doing Phoenix Marathon in February instead. And I really wanted to race where I get back to having fun and not worrying about the clock. And I was going into it under-trained. Um, that being said, I still did like 14 weeks of training. So it's not that I'm saying. We're very similar. Right. It's not that I'm <laughs> saying that I was under-trained and that I didn't. For normal do... people, you were not
1: under-trained. But right. For you, but you for me, my potential, yeah. I
0: was undertrained. I did a couple 20-milers. But, you know, my training was much more relaxed And I was at a point personally where I had to kind of be patient with my body and give it, give it some time and let it go through some things it was going through. And so I really wanted to do Phoenix, but then I knew looking at the calendar that doing Boston all of eight weeks later was tight. Yeah. And I could have totally dragged my body through Boston, but you know, it comes down to why. And again, what are the risks? What's the off season look like then? And, you know, I have some really big goals for fall, and I didn't want to do anything that was going to bump my potential or um, force me to adjust my training going into that. And what are so, your goals for fall? Um, I'm going to raise Amsterdam Marathon in October. So I'm going international again. <laughs>
1: That's fun.
0: Yeah. I, um you know, I tossed my hat into the lottery for Berlin and didn't get a spot. And I've done Berlin before and it's a great one and it's just, it's it's a very fast race. I was looking at other options that are that time of year. I've done well in Europe. You know, Berlin was a PR, then Frankfurt surpassed that PR by, I think, like nine seconds. And uh, so I was looking and doing my research, I said, let's, let's go to
1: Amsterdam so fun, yeah how do you adjust when you get to the city like your body and sort of acclimating to the area yeah the time difference it's uh it's it's tough
0: what I have done in the past is so most races are Sunday I will usually do a red eye on Thursday arrive Friday morning I never sleep well on planes so I am that haggard human even if I take like sleep pills on a plane I'm still somehow awake um and then I do my best to kind of get in the time zone. I pull myself through the day like, okay, it's 7 a.m. here in Germany. We're going to go find breakfast now. Um, we're going to go to the race expo. We're going to just try to just get our body um, on the time zone. And often it means on a really early bedtime, the first night. But at least I'm kind of closer to doing what is normal where I am. Um and it's, it's gone. Okay. I mean, it's, it's resulted in, in two PRs, the two times I've done it before this time around, I'm going to fly out an extra day early mm-hmm. um, and extending the trip to a good, I think 12 days in Europe. So, um, figured just, you know, flights were essentially the same price both days. So I was like, let's do Wednesday red eye instead of Thursday red eye. And just give myself a little extra time to acclimate just and do in you, case. Do you study the course before you go and like do a little... Yeah, you oh, do. Like I've a, already do you have a recon <laughs> system? What's your recon I've system? I've already stared at that map so many times. Yeah. So, you know, and this is something I, I kind of try to drive home with my private clients when they're preparing for a race is do your research. The beauty of technology, the beauty of social media, the beauty of everybody having blogs is that there is so much information out there. You know, I've done races where I will do Google searches and I will read like 15 random blogs about a runner's experience. And it may be from different years to get an idea of the weather or how things were handled and what their personal experience was fully aware that everyone's going to have a different opinion or a different, um, different personal experience that day. I will also go to YouTube and look to see if there's YouTube videos of somebody driving the course for some of the big races, you know, like in New York city or Chicago or Boston It's televised with the elites. So you can watch the elites go through the course and hear the commentators talk about the turns or talk about the elevation
1: or talk about the things that every marathoner out there is experiencing. I totally geek out on that. Like for every race, like every triathlon I do, I try to go and do recon if it's possible. I mean, obviously, like if it's international, you can't, but we do one in Connecticut that you know, we go up and train on the course before we try to, we do a lot of local stuff. So yeah, yeah, that's an amazing, amazing thing to do. Yeah. So if it's, you know, I've, I've
0: had a lot of my goal races recently be a flight away, so I can't actually be on the course, but I'll look at the elevation chart. I will look at the turns. I will look at (laughs) all that
1: stuff. I, um, I never thought about turns before until Brooklyn and this (laughs) weekend. I am not, I haven't, ever really done like running with a run group or being coached on running outside of like my classes at mile high run club or questions that I ask other coaches I haven't really run with a run group to know about the turns and being on the inside or the outside like I'm one of those people that I've always run on the outside because I hate running well yes and I learned this weekend because this friend of mine was pacing me and She was like, we have to go on the inside. I really just want to run away from the people. Like I just like, (laughs) that's how I feel when I'm running. Like I don't like people in front of me. I want to be out of the crowd. So I'm always on the outside and I do a lot of wasted zigzagging. Mm -hmm. So I've learned now that that is a fail. If I ever (laughs) want to There's that 145 PR right there. (laughs) It's gone. 15 minutes of zigzagging. Yeah. Wait. So what is it about the turns? You have to stay on the inside or? Not necessarily.
0: I mean, you want to run the tangents. You want to run the shortest possible distance. And it's a strategy and the pros um, master it. I have found also too, you have, so Berlin Marathon and Chicago Marathon, which are world record courses, they have the blue tangent line painted on those courses. Yeah. So my strategy for Berlin was like, stick my butt to that tangent line and Mm -hmm. do not deviate from it unless I'm grabbing a cup of water. And it gave me something to focus on. It's weird when, you know, it's early in the course and your mind is a little restless because you're you're excited to go fast but you know you shouldn't or when you're starting to get tired and you know your focus kind of starts becoming a bit fuzzy to have something so simple to focus on it's a blue line keep your feet on it and so I knew I was doing the shortest distance possible that day I knew I wasn't expending any energy that was unnecessary and most races don't have that luxury because they're not world record courses but it, yeah, it was like you what know. blue line <laughs> yeah well and some courses too like Boston has Boston and New York will often like paint a blue course line on like the day before, but it's not a tangent line. Like it's just a, you know, hey, here's the course kind of, you know, okay trail. So, um, but yeah, no, every race has different strategy and I look into it when I've done hilly ones, you know, how do I prepare mentally and physically for that? What do I do? I do try to, if I know it's a course that's technical where it's going to have some ups and downs, I do try to drive the course the day before Mm -hmm. just so that, there aren't any big surprises that I like could if the have. Like, uneven, or there are yeah. potholes,
1: or things like that. Also. Yeah. And also, just to,
0: you know, watching the grade when someone's driving it on YouTube versus actually being in the vehicle or actually yeah. doing it on your feet are two very different experiences.
1: I had a coach once tell me that the heart does not know hills. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Mine will tell does. me otherwise. <laughs> My heart's going pretty fast. That because I like feel like, you know, I have a race in Connecticut mm-hmm. coming up. On June 2nd and um, I'm doing the run. So similarly to what had your experience with not doing Boston, we also signed up like a year ago mm-hmm. for this <laughs> like half 70.3 triathlon in Connecticut. And it's, you know, it's the swim is the easiest part. And I say that as somebody who does not like swimming because <laughs> the bike is 4000 feet of climbing and I'm sure the run is like a 1000 At least. So, you know, it's not an easy race and people use it as a race to train for like Placid full distance Ironman. So it's like the hardest course on the Northeast. They call it the beast and I love it, right? But like I did never, I've never done it as a half and I've only done it as an Olympic distance before it was an Ironman race. And I just thought like I would totally be able to do that last year in September when I signed up. And then life (laughs) happened and I haven't been able to train. I mean, at the level that I would want to do a race. Now, sure. for most people, I could, I could easily swim two miles tomorrow or get, you know, I do that, I swim all week. You know, I'm trained fully, but not at the level that I would want to show up and do a 70.3. So we downgraded to a relay. And the irony of it all is that all my relay partners are sick <laughs> and it's like two <laughs> weeks from now. And so I'm going to have to do it as a full triathlon. Yeah. Yeah, as a 70.3, <laughs> not a full triathlon. Your Instagram is so inspiring. It's cats. It's cats. No, it's cats and it's running slash life advice. And so I literally, (laughs) I love checking in with what you're up to on Instagram. And I often will read your posts and different, you know, philosophies or inspiring quotes of the day. And they really, really do resonate, especially, you know, even if you're not an athlete. I mean, they're really... Powerful. So maybe tell me one that you think you're feeling that vibe right now, like your day. I think one that I've shared a lot, and one that I shared like yesterday
0: was just you know the comeback process that everyone talks about. What it's like to feel at your best, whatever that is in life, whether it's as an athlete in training or other variables that are going on in your personal life that are related to being active or running and being human. And that when we're starting where we are, sometimes it is not where we want to be. And all you can do is be patient and take it a day at a time and be consistent and not give up on yourself. And to also find support systems to support you and, you know, as a runner, sometimes that's a running coach. Sometimes it's running team. Sometimes it's like the loved ones that put up with your training nonsense. And in something non-running related, it could be, you know, your friends, your family, something you're grateful for, something that keeps you motivated and going. But I think like running and what, what you get is what you often give in the sport. And I think that life is very much like that. And then when you get knocked down, it's your choice how you respond. And It's your choice how you choose to process it and how you choose to grow from it. And either you can take the negative cynical approach or say, screw it, I'm never doing it. Or you say, okay, I'm going to get up better and stronger than before, but a little bit wiser this time.
1: That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like um, I can relate to that in this moment <laughs> in my life for sure. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. <laughs> thank you. You've been like one of my favorite guests. So thank you. You have to say that to everybody, don't you? No, I don't. I just don't say it if it's not happening. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, you're right. I can't say that. All right. We're done. Wrap. Over and <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Email me, the-move one at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.